Welcome to Hogan Lovell's newest podcast, Digital Assets and Blockchain, The Influencers. We're bringing you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices, creating change in the digital asset space and highlighting the trends and issues you should have on your radar screen. Hi, I'm Bryony Woodup, partner in the London office of Hogan Lovells and leader of our sustainable finance and investments practice. I've been working for over 15 years in the financial services sector, most recently looking at digital assets and blockchain-based offerings and solutions in the crossover space between blockchain and ESG. I'm delighted to be here today with Chris Ford, Head of Government Relations at R3, which is one of the top providers of enterprise technology and services that enable the secure exchange of value in regulated industries. Great to be here. I started my career working in politics and uh, have a real passion for that, despite the difficult circumstances we face today in multiple jurisdictions. I spent three or four years working for very various politicians in the US and in uh, Europe, uh, and then moved into the private sector, doing government relations, spent the last five years focusing on technology, and then most recently for the last uh, 14 months, though it feels much longer than that, uh, working in DLT uh, and blockchain with uh, R3. So I know from our previous discussions that you're just as passionate about the crossover between digital assets and ESG as I am. And last week, when our Hogan Lovells digital assets and blockchain team was in Davos, we uh, spent a lot of time talking and interacting with the market there about climate change, broader environmental issues and challenges that blockchain and digital assets might be able to provide some solutions for in that space. Today, I thought we would focus particularly around circularity. Circularity, obviously, often one of those perhaps poorer cousins of the ESG conversation. You know, we tend to hear up front a lot about climate. We might hear quite a bit about some of the um, things that fall under S, like social equality, financial inclusion, governance. We might hear about diversity. But circularity is a really key feature um, of ESG, something that I feel anyway that we really don't hear about enough. And so I thought we'd just start today to talk about you know, some of the background, what circularity is, why circularity is important um, and, you know, launch straight into it with, you know, what impact does scarcity have on essential commodities um, in our world today? I'll I'll pick that up, but I just want to pick up on your first point around the the poorer cousin. I, I would argue that circularity is bigger than just ESG. Circularity, yes, is about preserving our environment and reducing carbon emissions, um, it, it has that effect, but it also helps make us richer. It also helps make us more affluent, more innovative. And so it's it's a way of thinking around how business operates. It's much broader than ESG. It has a, a fantastic impact on ESG, but it also has a fantastic impact on profitability, on reducing cost, and on generally improving outcomes for businesses. So for me, I think in the future, when we look at ESG, a good leader of a business understand circularity and how that is a way of reducing cost, a way of increasing profitability, and yes, improving um, the environmental impact of that business. But on the issue of of scarcity, we've all read in the news talk about rare earth metals, which are used in things like batteries for electric cars and mobile phones, and the consequences of those those minerals going missing and not being able to find them anymore. Uh, we've also read about the scarcity of energy, the scarcity of labour. So it broadens not just out of raw materials, but people too. Clearly, in a world where globalism 
is on the retreat, the scarcity becomes more acute. Because as we know, our economies are the places we design things, the places we build things, and the places we consume things in terms of proportions are not the same. Uh, And so as protectionism begins to slightly rear its head again and those borders become slightly less porous, scarcity takes on another dimension. And so in terms of being able to maximise the value of the material you already have in in the manufactured goods that you already possess and the talent that you have in the workforce that you use... It's never been more important and will continue, I think, for the next 15 to 20 years to set the mood music around how we're going to create sustainable products for the future. Yeah, and when we look at this concept of circularity, I guess just to pin down like what the features are, what mm. we mean, okay. you know, I think there's some core features um, that we can maybe identify. So there's elimination of waste, right? Primary... Recognition that no, there, there almost is no such thing as waste in that regard. Right. Mm. Yeah, I read an article. It was talking about you know waste is a is a human invention. Mm-hmm. Nature doesn't waste. Nature just reuses and recycles mm-hmm. the raw materials. It's so, uh, what's been called the take make waste yeah. mindset um, has to be interrupted and you know made into circular instead of this linear process that, mm-hmm. that we currently work with. The creation of waste chains in addition to supply chains and actually are waste chains and supply chains actually the same thing? Mm. Uh, it's a concept that we need to establish if we're going to be able to build and rely upon the things we've already had that we've dug out of the ground. And there are some astonishing statistics. If you look at mobile phones, a ton of those phones has over 300 times more gold in it than a ton of gold ore. Wow. And we bury these things as landfill waste all the time and then dig them back up again at 300 times less efficient than recycling the devices. Can we actually run our economies and our supply chains more efficiently? I would argue we definitely can. Right. And there are other benefits right, mm. associated with eliminating waste. Mm-hmm. So waste itself has its own emissions consequences and... You know, I was in a, a talk recently where we were talking about um, net zero cities and what a big challenge for cities around achieving net zero is the carbon emissions from uh, municipal waste handling. The way I think about it from a business point of view is if you start from the fact that you can make manufacturing that mobile phone cheaper, you can make more of it and you can reduce your impact on the environment in that order you start to see how you can use the motivations that we used in the 20th century to build our economies to actually deliver the competitiveness that we need in Western economies that are facing pressure all over the place, but also meet our ESG targets. And that's how I think about ESG. If you try and find a balance, that remains sacrificing something. And human beings aren't great at giving up on things they have before. You know, there's lots of pressure about how this generation has it worse off than the previous generation. Exactly. So I think we can see we've got this significant current issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got lots of reasons why it needs to be solved. Yes, indeed. Um, and not a lot of very effective solutions currently on the table. <laughs> nope, that's true. Uh, so, you know, obviously we're, we're involved in this conversation and, and we've, you know, been involved in this conversation together previously because... We both have views on how blockchain and digital assets can potentially mm-hmm. come in to um, help to solve on these issues. So, shall we talk about why we think that blockchain and digital yeah. assets might be suited um, and what some of the practical examples might be? Yeah, I mean, 
hearing us talk for the last five minutes, you'd think this was easy, right? <laughs> it clearly isn't. Uh, if it were easy, it would have been done many years ago. Uh, I think the motivation is still there in terms of it can make companies infinitely more profitable. Why aren't they doing it? Well, it's complex. Supply chains are, by their very nature, incredibly complicated. Waste chains, even more so, particularly if you start to look in the operations of a business. Tracking where 0.1 grams of gold came from and uh, 2 grams of lithium came from, and we're, we're focusing on electronics, but it's the most obvious example, is very hard. And having that level of depth of understanding of your supply chain, which is being driven now by ESG priorities in terms of reporting, actually can be used to improve your supply chain. But you need to have a reliable way of tracing material through that supply chain. You need to be able to identify that material. And you need to be able to exchange information from suppliers quickly, reliably, and in a way that can be used to redesign a company. Now, doing that with a spreadsheet or an email, people have tried. It's next to impossible. Creating a, a chain that would be able to look at supply chain and be able to connect all these things together and trace where these materials came from and be able to demonstrate not only to you as a business, but perhaps you as a consumer, that when you bought something, where did it come from? And when you recycled it, where did it go? Blockchain has part of the answer for solving the complexity of everyone having to know every last bit because the system itself creates the means to trace the materials around. Yeah. So it's exciting. Exactly. The capability for the identification and then monitoring of component materials within products mm-hmm. and then also tracking the production, sale and location of those products during their life cycle so that when they reach the end of their life cycle, the deconstruction of that product and then appropriate reuse of component materials is enabled in this whole product system. That's a really exciting proposition. And that enables companies to think about value differently. I think everyone would agree that where there's value in something, it should be moved to the person who sees the value in it when you don't see it. But the process of moving it from one state to the other has been incredibly complicated. And that's been the main reason why stuff still gets inefficiently handled. So Mm. that, to me, is really exciting. Is it the whole solution? No, because there's still the inertia around, is it worth our effort? to put in this amount of effort to to, to move this into what is a nominal value. But that's because people haven't started to realise just how much value is in these things. And so there is still work to do, but I think the blockchain lowers that bar of entry to having a go at this and really seeing the value that's there. Right. And that's what I was going to ask. Mm. What are the features of blockchain and potentially, you know, digital assets? I mean, I've heard mm. NFTs sort yeah. of floated as a part of the solution in this space. So yeah. I think we should touch on, mm-hmm. you know, what it is about those type of digital assets or blockchain mm-hmm. that really, you know, gets that um, excitement going around that as a solution in this context? So, I mean, in terms of the network itself, DLT networks are normally used to create trust or create certainty in areas where that doesn't exist. Um, Now, supply chain is in desperate need of clarity because the more you understand your supply chain, the better you can run your business, the better you can cut your costs, and the better you can reallocate material. Uh, And so... It's a technology that was essentially 
built for this at the high level. The deployment of it into a complex system is not simple. Many have tried, not everyone has succeeded. Mm. Um, it requires experimentation. But it demonstrated that at least in, at the highest level, this, this can work. So it requires investment in time, recognition of the fact that the rewards will massively outsway any initial investment in the longer term. Whether companies can think in the longer term in that way, we, we can debate. But uh, yes, in terms of creating a kind of digital twin for a physical asset and being able to move that around and assign that value, that's really fascinating. And of course, let's look at this phone again. That can have a token in it for a phone of a certain value that there may be a demand for. It can also have a token in it for copper and for gold. So that can have multiple different values depending on the marketplace for those items and the cost of retrieving it from the device. So you can create a marketplace for these goods that is not muddied by who's got what and where because you know exactly where it is. The value is intrinsic. That gives you an opportunity to buy these coins, these assets as a commodity. Mm -hmm. And that will massively accelerate our ability to be more self-sufficient with these assets and materials and by as a, as a market, as opposed to trying to kind of manufacture way, weird and wonderful ways of working with a supply chain that they're not not really accustomed mm -hmm. to. In that sense, I'm, I'm excited by that. What I'm slightly more concerned with is just the lack of pace in some of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's two sort of angles, isn't there? There's mm -hmm. one angle, which is about pushing, uh, using blockchain and perhaps some of that um, openness and mm. the openness of the information on there. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the visibility um, to push some of the responsibility for waste chains onto producers. Mm. But from another perspective, there's also the potential for using blockchain and digital assets to actually almost... Um, democratize or you know enable consumers to have a lot more control and visibility and also mm -hmm. perhaps even you know directly benefit mm -hmm. from um, their assets once they get to the end of life in a way that currently I mean obviously some services especially electronics offer that um, you know a discount if you take back your old yeah tablet or phone or whatever and, and kind of do that part exchange but I mean I have no concept as to whether or not that discount is in any sense reflective of the value of materials actually contained in the device no. so some sort of um direct system link. that enabled me to have a direct link to that would be you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more I mean one of the things that really impacts on people's individual ability to impact on the environment um is Recently, the sort of fatalism that this is too big for me. Mm. I don't understand. Everything I'm told is a good thing to do. I subsequently read in the newspapers, isn't. Or I've made it worse. I bought an electric car if you're lucky enough to do that. And I've made it worse. I have to drive it for 30 years before I can make it better. Being able to have access, to, I mean, access to data is, is, is crucial for kind of fighting this kind of inertia around uh, this is almost too hard. I can't see the impact I'm having. I'm doing what I think is right, but I have to trust the other party. Mm. And that's the key thing. I think trust is in short supply. We know that greenwashing, for better or worse, is becoming a bit of a, a bit of an issue in this industry. Uh, and we are at risk, I think, of losing support from people that have otherwise put this time in. And so this can help reconstruct that. Because mm. uh, as I said, it's about building trust. I can... I can tell you 
you can trace where those materials came from in your device. You can trace where they went to when you handed it back. And I'll just pick you up one thing you mentioned in terms of the responsibility, the burden, if you will, on mm. wage chains. It's a massive opportunity. If you're a company building a laptop, it's far cheaper to get that material for your next one out of something you built yourself than it is to get it out of the ground. If you put the right mechanisms around and the right tools. Right. Now, blockchain isn't all of it, but it's a significant part of it. Looking at some of the other, you know, levers around this, obviously mm. there's um, a legislation and policy mm. piece that needs to be uh, plugged in. And I just wanted to touch on a couple of relevant pieces of legislation around Europe that we can think about effectiveness or not and mm. whether or not they fit in with the idea of delivering solutions for these issues on blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the first one is the there's, there's an um, EU product passport mm. legislation. And as a part of the product passport, the information that's intended to be, um, you know, contained within that relevant passport is to some degree touching on materials, sustainability, features, yeah. um, source, you know, so, some of that information contained in there. So I think that's helpful, but a very small piece. And also it's against that product information mm -hmm. bit. Another piece of legislation, uh, thanks very much to my Paris colleagues um, for sharing some background with me is the French anti-waste law, mm -hmm. which has been in uh, in place since 2020 and slowly coming into force over time, um, which contains that labelling and information piece, mm -hmm. uh, not just on the product. We haven't really talked about packaging, no. but also on packaging. Mm -hmm. So looking at it from those two perspectives. But in addition to that piece, contains this um, extended producer responsibility concept. Mm -hmm. So the idea of um, contributing to a an organisation which is extending the chain of responsibility for that product into the waste cycle so that that organisation on a sector basis um, will be able to ultimately be responsible for deconstructing the relevant products, you know, dealing with um, the materials to recycle, re reallocate, etc. That I think that bit of the legislation is really interesting. Yes. Now, it's clear that the implementation of that legislation has not been without significant challenge, um, including, as we've mentioned, you know, just the huge complexity in this area and the fact that as we stand at the moment... Products up front are not being designed mm -hmm. with this subsequent sort of circularity and waste chain aspects in mind. And that obviously means that you've got to start somewhere, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to apply suddenly the circularity concept to these existing products mm -hmm. that haven't been designed well from that perspective. Not without that concept in mind. Yeah. So, so what do we need to do, do you think, with government policy, legislation more broadly mm. to make this work and also to scale it? And do you think that blockchain has particular features that we ought to be really 
threading into, not necessarily, obviously we need to be technology neutral when we come to legislation, but that we need to be threading into that policy Mm -hmm. so that we can try and capitalise on some of the reasons why blockchain is particularly good for this kind of issue. I mean, I can talk about examples of companies that are doing and are ahead of the legislation. Uh, Again, because of my background in IT, I keep coming back to electronics, but bear with me. I mean, some of the companies that build laptops, for example, are creating QR codes on the back of them that you can scan that will give you, uh, to an ISO standard, materials that are contained within that device and where it was manufactured and what, what was used to manufacture it. So that, as you say, creates the baseline data for manufactured goods to be able to then place into a chain and, and trace through a, a waste chain. Because waste chains are very bitty, very fragmented. Supply chains tend to be very much more integrated. If we can get a more integrated waste chain, we can then trace and use those materials more effectively. And that's what, indeed, many governments, I think, are trying to get to. The other aspect I would mention in regard to what governments have done is they need to practice what they preach as well in terms of their own materials and goods and the way that they run their government. So I I look at it from that angle too. Um, notwithstanding the fact that we've talked about how goods end their life as manufactured goods into assets and into materials. It's how they're reused mm-hmm. as well. So, as I said to you before, we have a STEM issue in much of Europe in terms of wanting to raise the bar of our children, yet we can't put a device into every hand of every student in the country, and yet we're throwing them away. You know, why can't we remanufacture them? Why shouldn't a job seeker have access to a device that would have otherwise been remanufactured? It doesn't mean that we can then, once that is end of life for that user, bring it back into the supply cycle and, manuf- and remanufacture it. It's just that it's that continuity of value mm. is missing. And I think it does start with government putting its money and, and putting its time where its mouth is in terms of creating these markets and, and, and running their own establishments in that way. If Government can emulate that kind of behaviour. And in terms of the level of control they have over their assets, it's much higher than most businesses, I would hope. Um, So there is a massive opportunity there. But yes, the blockchain helps to glue the steps together. So there is so many different stages in a product's life cycle, from raw materials to manufactured goods, back into waste and back into materials. If we can trace the life of that material all the way through, we're in control of that material. It's an asset. It's not something on a shelf. Hmm. It's something we know has a particular value. We can apply it. The blockchain was built for that. Applied properly in the enormous complexity of supply chain, which is complex as it is, let's be clear. But if you can layer that through, that traceability can transform the way we deal with with, with raw materials and assets, which is why it's really exciting. It's easy for us here in this room to talk about that. The actual application of it will take a lot of effort, but the value that you derive from achieving it is enormous. So in terms of practical examples we've seen already evolving in this space, I think there are some blockchain-based solutions around these electronic equipment. Materials data management, I think it's called, right? Materials data management um, solutions for circularity in the electronic equipment space. Mm -hmm. So that's one 
clear area where we've got the potential to advance further, scale and grow. I think automotive is another area where that's been very advanced for some time as well. Yeah, and and exactly. And so growing out into other industries as well. Mm -hmm. So I think other areas um, where we've seen solutions are also in the um, fashion and clothing industry. But maybe just working from those practical kind of um, actual materials handling solutions and a bit further out into motivation, producer responsibility Mm. and also that consumer behaviour piece. You've talked about it. So finance and value, the ability for both producers to see waste not as a responsibility but as an opportunity and similarly consumers to, you know, have that the data and the access to processes that enables them to monetize. It's like an extra layer of utility that blockchain, because it can handle not just data, but also value transmission, I think offers to provide solutions in this space that go beyond just material Mm -hmm. data management, albeit that that's obviously an incredibly important part of this conundrum. And one thing that really strikes me is is very interesting is this ability to tokenize the value in things that we and, and create marketplaces for assets that we otherwise have not had marketplaces for or the ability to even understand or define value or exchange as assets including natural capital investments would be you know one thing um a project that i was involved in discussing a few months ago was related to that natural capital investment piece, but very much in circularity, but on packaging, you know, looking at compostable packaging. So, you know, the resources that go into making the compostable packaging on what natural capital benefits can be drawn from that packaging supply chain process which is obviously intended to be biologically circular and the whole point of that is that when you can tokenize that kind of value you get the ability to unitize to get the data and then to create liquidity in assets that we just have never previously had the ability to access in that way. You mentioned that network that we would build around uh, the movement and, and, and asset data. If you have the asset data, you have the commodity. You can you can, as you say, unitize that commodity and trade it mm. right? in whatever form the market would drive that towards. But the point is, at the moment, we don't have enough data to be able to trade these materials, so they disappear. They don't necessarily get used efficiently. And like you say, uh, there are hundreds of different ways that you could do that. There are count it's limited by your imagination. It could be gold, plastics, anything. Right. Mm. But the key thing, I guess, is the ability to, as you say, identify them, grab hold of them, be able to move them around and be able to say where they are at any given time. That complex network is, well, I can't think of any other way short of someone holding you know, a very large Excel spreadsheet doing it without, without blockchain. So that's mm. really exciting. And the products that come out of that are things like nature credits that we work with an organization called Rebalance Earth that are working on and done some fantastic work around the economic value and circularity of elephants, of all things. But you should read up about it. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know there are countless different applications of this technology that, as you say, takes that network, takes that data and creates value from that data that we can trade as tangible objects. And that's truly an opportunity to make more of what we have and be 
more affluent and have more materials to build things from, as well as helping the environment. And I feel that's a more natural route to, to economic value through nature preservation than any other route that I've heard of. So I think that's really exciting. Well, with that, Chris, I think we might close. Thank you very much for joining us today. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes, which will feature further conversations between Hogan Lovells and some of the leading influencers in the digital assets and blockchain space. Visit our digital assets and blockchain hub at engagepremium.hoganlovells.com slash blockchain for more episodes and tools you can use to investigate the different ways that blockchain can be used and where the new technology is shaking up industries. Visit hoganlevels.com forward slash blockchain for more podcasts and other resources or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.